Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is a senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here is Pastor Michael Huffman. Um. Well, what, what do I say about this man? Uh, I thought all week, actually I thought about a month and a half since I asked him to come speak for us. Um, thought about how I would introduce him. Um, what do I say? Uh, he's my pastor growing up. Uh, he was my mentor. Um, and he's my friend. He's my friend. And most of all, he's a brother in Christ. And uh, the Lord has allowed me to uh, sojourn this earth with him. And the Lord always seems to allow our paths to cross. I left Scottsville at the ripe old age of 17 to go away to Bible college and seminary, never to return. And then God brings him to Louisa, he and his wonderful wife to Louisa. And he's an elder at the Christ Reformed Baptist Church in Bell's Cross, Bell's, Bell's Crossroad, yes, near Ferncliff. And um, so it is an honor, it is an honor to have him come. So, Brother Jeff Clark, would you please come? Older brother. <laughs> I'm the older elder and the older brother. All right. It is great. It's always great to be here. It's like coming home. Um, I always enjoy myself. And it's always a privilege to be able to open the Bible and preach God's Word. Um, I have, uh, of course, my opportunities diminish as the years go by in one sense. Uh, as you get older, you know, um, things happen. I read about it in Ecclesiastes 12. That ain't pretty. <laughs> uh, but at any rate, God gives grace. And I have, um, I really do have a, a wonderful time. Everybody thinks I'm crazy. Uh, I have a, a ministry at uh, Epworth uh, where I teach Bible. It's on Friday. Now we moved it from Thursday to Friday. And I teach over there. And honestly, you know, if I was to characterize it the way that it would look, I think about it sometimes the way it would look to people. They come in and they would look and see. They, they stand on my side of the pulpit and look out there. They say, yeah, he's, 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 hmm. he's not here for long. <laughs> my first time I ever preached in a nursing home, the guy died. One guy right in front died. And I didn't know it because nothing changed. I mean, he was alive now. He didn't. And, uh, but the lady behind knew, knew that he had died. And she's kind of gesturing to the staff. <laughs> and I didn't know what was going on. I thought that somebody needs a diaper change or what? what's going on. But from my side of the pulpit, there, it, it really is, well, to one of the manager over there. And uh, 
a finer manager you would never want to meet. But she, she, she knows exactly what I'm talking about because some of the, some of the people there are not present all the time. They're present. Um, they, they're, they're gone. And I'm waiting for my turn. I have them. I have them. I have them. I, went, uh, I was in the supermarket the other day. I remembered everything. I remembered everything. I mean, that's a miracle. <laughs> I, rem- I mean, I remembered everything. I was so proud. I got to the checkout. I put it all up on the belt. And I stood in front of that machine where you put your card. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I stood there and stared at it. Now, I've done it many times. But this day, I didn't know. Oh, I'm just standing there, standing saying, paralyzed. What do I do? Yeah, but I remembered everything. <laughs> anyway, the lady that was behind the checkout, she had a husband in a similar situation. Pew, she came around and came over. She said, don't worry. Don't get excited. Don't be frightened. It'll pass. Happens to my husband all the time. She took care of it. That was great. That's providence. That's providence. So if you see me going, don't worry, it'll pass. It'll pass. They never last more than 20 minutes. 20 minutes and we'll be out of here. Um, but things happen, and it's very humbling. It's very humbling. You know, you're, very, you're, you're used to being robust and vigorous and very self-sufficient. You take care of yourself, and you take care of others. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're one that's not so much a caregiver as receiving care. And people ask me all the time, how are you? I'm old. That's how I am. I'm old. And everything that goes with that, I'm learning about. I'm learning about. Not liking it, but learning. So, previews of coming attractions, you looking at me. You'll be here. You'll be here. So don't make fun. Make fun, you'll be sorry. Um, I'm I'm going to preach a passage. I always preach stuff you know. I don't preach anything you don't know. I always preach stuff you know. uh, Because there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, Everything, all truth is the same truth. Nothing changes. So I always teach or preach stuff that you already know and probably sermons you've already heard given better. But we're going to give it a shot, okay? We'll go together in God's Word today. I want you to turn to John 11, a familiar passage to you all. This is the account of the resurrection of Lazarus. It's actually a resuscitation. Resurrection is you don't die again. Resuscitation, you come to life and you have to die. Uh, Poor Lazarus had to have two funerals. So he died again. So that's not, you know, unless you like funerals a lot, especially if you're the subject. Uh, Maybe one's enough. Uh, But chapter 11, interesting enough, follows chapter 10. And chapter 10 is the Good Shepherd section, where Christ said, I am the Good Shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. No one taketh them from me, but I lay my life down. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. No man ever said that. 
No man ever said that. I lay down my life and I have power to take it up again. No man ever said that unless he was cuckoo. But Jesus could say it because he's God or very God. He could say it. You know what else he said in chapter 10? I love this. My sheep. Whose sheep? My sheep hear my voice and they do know me and they do follow me. Oh boy. That's good, isn't it? Uh, We had three little lambs wander onto our property. Well, it wasn't our property. It was Rodney's property. We were living with Rodney Carter. I was living in a borrowed house. Uh, I've owned two houses in my, well, let's see, this month would be my 60th wedding anniversary if Mrs. Clark had lived. We've been 60 years, the 29th of this month. We, we own two houses. Other than that, we lived in borrowed places. In the ministry, you know, you don't need to own stuff. Uh, you're just gonna, I move, we move some 30 times plus. Um, we got around a lot. We had a great time. We had good fun. And my sheep, these sheep wandered onto Rodney's property, and I saw them standing, looking, blinking. And I don't know anything about sheep. I had goats, and they're different. They were very different. And these sheep are going looking like, where are we? And so I tried to approach them, and sure enough, I was able to approach them, and I encouraged them to come in because I was fascinated by them. And so the three of them came in, and I put them in the dog pen. I put them in Rodney's dog pen. And uh, I kept penned them up there, and he came home. I said, I got sheep. Can I keep them? He said, yeah, you can keep them. You're going to feed them, too. He said, I'll feed them. I'll take care. So I had sheep. You know, in a short time, they would follow me. And one of those crazy sheep would try to get on my lap. <laughs> I had a schnauzer dog that is a lap dog, and she'd jump up on my lap, and the sheep would try to get up. And one time she made it, and my wife got a picture of it the sheep in my lap, they're different than goats. Goats will get on your back and stand on your head, but they don't want to sit on your lap. And my sheep hear my voice and do follow me. And you know little lambykins followed me around on the property? She'd follow me around, and she'd run and find me when I whistled. Lambykins knew my voice, knew my whistle. And she followed me. So when I read chapter 10 where it says, my sheep know me and do follow me, I I understand this is a shepherd's point of view. When the shepherd would go to the common place, the corral where they were with all the sheep, all the shepherds would put the sheep in there, they'd hire one guy to keep them safe. They'd go to town, buy the beans, you know, get the, you know, get the burgers and stuff. And one guy stands guard at the, in front. And when they come in the morning, they come back and they'd walk up and the gatekeeper would recognize the shepherd and he'd call his sheep and his sheep would come out. The other sheep wouldn't come out because they don't know his voice. That's what Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. 
and they do follow me. And we're going to see a profound illustration of that in chapter 11. A great illustration of that truth. I love this, I love this passage. Do we have to be on time today? You know, you know it's 11.47, don't you? A certain man... Oh, hurry. A certain man was sick. That's easy to identify with. And his name was Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. So this is a family that's familiar to us. We know these people. Jesus knew these people. Mary sat at Christ's feet and worshipped him. Martha tended out on the practical side. Martha complained about Mary sitting there doing nothing. Jesus said she's chosen the better part. So everybody, everybody has some Martha and some Mary in them. It's an, the, the deal is, is to keep that in balance so that our spiritual life is balanced. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So we've got the setting. We know the family, and we know Lazarus is sick. And it's easy for us to understand that. We hear that all the time these days, don't we? So-and-so is sick. We heard this morning Bill Pitsenbarger and Naomi Pitsenbarger are sick. They've got COVID. Uh, we hear it a lot, so we understand what it means. Therefore the sisters sent unto him, the Lord, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. I like that too. He whom thou lovest. Now, the sister sends a message. We don't know who carried the message, but the message came to Christ. Christ was some distance away with his disciples in hiding because there'd been so much persecution. Things are coming to a great crescendo here. Jesus has demonstrated that he's God over nature, he's God over demons. He's God over life and death. He's God over the elements. He's demonstrated all that. He's Lord of the Sabbath. And I'll tell you what, the Pharisees are ripped. They don't care about the truth. They want him dead. He's disrupting their religion. That's what he does. He, he ruins religion and he ruins funerals. <laughs> yeah, that's what he does. Because Christianity is not, in its essence, a religion. Religion is what men do to get to God. Christianity is a person that God sent to get to you. Amen. He's looking for you when you aren't looking for Him. You don't have the power or the capacity to look for Him. And so, she sends a message to him, and she identifies him, the one that thou lovest. I would, I would love to have that when you, somebody was t talking to Jesus and says, hey, talking about Brother Bill, President of our, the one whom thou lovest is sick. Therefore his sister sent and asked, told him. When Jesus heard of it, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but to the glory of God. This sickness is not unto death, but to the glory of God. This sickness is not unto death, but for God's glory. This is going to be interesting. 
but it puts it in perspective. When you're sick, do it to the glory of God. Be a good sick. Be a holy sick. Be a real sick, but be holy. It's hard, isn't it? I had that crazy COVID stuff. I didn't care about anything. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Don't feed me. Pray for me. I can't pray. You pray. Um, I like that. This is unto the glory of God. That the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So let's give God glory when we get sick. Let's, let's just think about that consciously when we're sick from now on, okay? Like how can I glorify God in this? Well, don't punch the nurse. That would be good. That would be good. Take your medications. Don't learn any new swear words. Be, just be sick to the glory of God. I live with two nurses. They have it rough. They do. I mean, they really do. Right now, especially, it's awful. That sounds funny, doesn't it? I live with two nurses. One is my granddaughter, and the other one is my grandson. Two nurses. And look what happens. When he heard that, when he heard that, Verse 6, he abode two days in the same place. Wait a minute. That message is a prayer. Didn't you know the one whom thou lovest is sick? You get over here and fix it. Come now. He needs to be well today. He doesn't need to be well in two days. He needs to be well right now. That's the way I felt. Don't tell me I'm going to get better. I want better. I want it now. Isn't that how it works? When you're sick, they say, oh, you'll be well in a few days. You'll get your sense of taste back. Well, maybe. You'll get your sense of taste back in two weeks, maybe. Huh? You want to hear that dribble? No, you want to be well now. (laughs) Tell me that stuff. Jesus stayed in the same place after they prayed. That message is a prayer. He didn't move. You say, oh, Jesus doesn't love me, didn't he? Wait a minute. The one whom thou lovest is sick, and you've received a prayer, and you ain't doing nothing. Why? Because it's for the glory of God. And for Christ's glory. How's that work? How's me being sick longer work for God's glory? I don't get that. Huh? You'll see. It does. That's how it works. There's a time for everything. And it's all for Him. You see, life's not about us. <laughs> Fooled you. You thought it was, huh? <laughs> you've, been, you've been listening to Vincent Peale or somebody. No, no. It's not about us. It's not about us. We're not here for God to serve us. We're here to serve Him. Amen. And, and Jesus isn't jumping through hoops. 
He's God of very God. And he knows the will of his Father. And his, the will of his Father he will do. He abode in the same place two days. Somebody said, I told you he didn't care. See? He doesn't love you. He did let you be sick two more days. <laughs> then after that, he saith to the disciples, he's having trouble all around. He said, let us go uh, to Judah again. And his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and thou goest thither again? Are you going back there and let those guys beat up on you again? You're risking life and live. And he answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walketh in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things he said, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Now here Jesus uses a nice word for death. He uses the word sleep, because to him it is sleep. To, to the, when we're looking at it, it's death. That's it. That's the end. But when Jesus looks at it, it's nothing but a sleep. Lazarus is taking a nap. He's just taking a nap. You see, Lazarus' grave is temporary. He's not going to be there long. And Christian, your grave is temporary. You're not going to be there long. He's going to get you up out of there. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I, I got more people in heaven than I got here now. The, um, Lazarus sleeping. I go to wake him out of sleep. And then his disciples said, they're all doctors, you know, like we are when we're around our sick friends. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleepeth, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought he spoke of taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Get it? That's it. And I am glad. What? <laughs> Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus unto the, his fellow disciples, let us go also with him that we may die with him. <laughs> okay. We may as well go die with him. He's going over there to Jew. He's going to die. We may as well go with him. Well, Didymus there, old Thomas, he's, he's a real pessimist. <laughs> You remember, he's the, he's the one that said, I will not believe until I thrust my hand into his side. And, and Jesus said to him on that second Sunday night service after the resurrection, because Thomas was absent the first one. He was at choir practice, I guess. And <laughs> so the second Sunday night, he says to him, Thomas, come here. Thrust thy hand in my side. See the wounds. Thomas, my Lord 
And my God, <coughs> you see, it takes different things to bring us to faith. And that was the least glorifying of all things, probably, because it took so much to convince doubting Thomas. But I'm glad that there was a doubting Thomas because we have a doubting Thomas's confession. My Lord and my God was his confession. Wonderful. We wouldn't have had it if he had doubted so hard. So here he's, a, you know, he's pessimistic. And Jesus came and he found uh, that he had lain in the grave four days. Superstitious Jews believed that the spirit, the soul, uh, hovered around the grave for three days. So four days is truly dead, dead. In the Jewish, even superstitiously dead. The soul's not hanging around. Uh, that's a superstition, but that's what they believe, and I think that's why Jesus waited four days. So that everything would be off the table, there's no question about it. Uh, there's no spirit here, there's nothing here, he's dead, dead. Corruption has taken hold. And um, uh, the great thing when Jesus was in the tomb, he didn't corrupt. He's incorruptible. He didn't rot. You know, there's a, there's a little cliche, a little thing that's been said about Christ's death and burial. So the, 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 the demons came back to Satan, their boss, and said, uh, uh, we've done it, we've done it, they've crucified him, he's in the ground. And uh, he said, well, you know, how's he look? He said, well, corruption hasn't showed up yet, but I'm sure it'll be along any time. So they went back and they checked on him again and they came back the second day and how's it? He said, the corruption hasn't showed up. And they went back the third day and the demons were in there. What happened? And all of a sudden they started screaming to their boss, we can't hold him. He's alive. Amen. He's alive. Death and corruption couldn't hold him. It came forth. The stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let Mary in. <laughs> Jesus didn't need any stinking stone rolled away. <laughs> but those, us earthlings needed the stone moved so we could get in and see the evidence of his resurrection, the empty tomb. Four days already. Now in Bethany, it was nigh under Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs. I guess that's about what, 11 miles, something like that. I don't know what it is. Not far. Not even that far. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort concerning their brother and Martha. So you can see there's a funeral situation, can't you? Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him, but Mary sat and still in the house. So Martha comes to Jesus in verse 21 and says, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. It's an innuendo. Jesus is dead and it's your fault. If you'd been here, we, sent, we prayed, sent you the message, we prayed. If you'd have come, he'd be alive. You see how God's going to be glorified? Huh? Hope in a hopeless situation. She's accusing the Lord, not directly, you know, but subtly, if. If you hadn't brought that cat home, I wouldn't be having these allergies. 
If you'd trained that dog better, it wouldn't have eaten my concordance. If, if you had been here, Jesus, people noticed that not many people die in Jesus' presence. He broke up every funeral he went to. Including this one. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto them, thy brother shall rise again. She has some theology, she knows some stuff. Verse 24, she saith unto them, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. What a pronouncement, huh? Talk about resurrection. I am the resurrection, he says. I am. This is his most profound I am statement so far. He's made seven, this is the seventh one, I think. Great pronouncements. I am the bread of life. Um, What are some of the other ones? (laughs) I'm standing in front of the checkout now. he made, he made seven of them anyway, and this is the, I think this is the greatest one, the most profound one. I am the resurrection. And every time he uses I am, he's using the name of God. He's saying ego amy. He's saying he's using the name that God used in Exodus 4. Moses said, who shall I say called me? And God said, tell him I am that I am sent you, the self-existent one. Yeah. I don't need any help. I'm the self-existent one. Is what God's telling Moses. Tell him, I am sent you. Not I was, not I will be. I am, the eternal I am. And Jesus uses that name seven times at least in the Gospel of John. And here he said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. We're going to believe Jesus. We're going to believe some Jehovah's Witness. you're going to believe Jesus, you're going to be the Mormon. Jesus said, is he a liar? No, he's not a liar. And he said, I am. And he used the name of God to punctuate it. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's God of very God. God is one essence, manifest in three personalities. Explain that to me, preacher. No way. No way. But I know my math, and I know if A equals 1, and B equals 1, and C equals 1, then A equals B, and B equals C, and C equals A. And if the Holy Spirit does divine things, he's divine. And if Jesus does divine things, he's divine. And God the Father does divine things, he's divine. And if they're divine, they're co-equal personalities. I am the resurrection and life. And whosoever believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She has an epiphany. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
which shall come into the world. And when she had so said, she went away and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and she came to him. And Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha had met him. And the Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her when they saw that Mary had risen and rose hastily and went to follow her, saying, She goeth to the grave to weep there. Then Mary was come where Jesus was. He saw her, and he fell down at his feet. This is what Mary does, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Down at his feet. That, that's, where we, that's where we belong, isn't it? At his feet. I, I, when I was in India, I met a, a Hindu family. The uh, lady that ran the orphanage where I was staying uh, said, I want to take you over to the village and I want you to introduce you to a, a family that really helped me a lot. There's a man and a wife and a son. The son, they, this man was wealthy and he wanted his son in Christian school and this was the closest place they could get to a Christian school. He's a Hindu. He wants a son in Christian school. Go figure. So he moves to this little village and he builds a house for himself and his wife out of dung, literally. So you have a, a house that's sort of a nice shade of off green, and it's made out of cow poop. And, and uh, she goes over and he comes out, he comes out, and his wife is, you know, he's, he's here, and she's back here behind him, waiting. And my friend introduces me to the husband, and I ask if I can meet the wife, and the husband tells her to, to come to me, and she comes on her hands and knees and touches my shoe. And she goes back behind her husband and stands up. You want, to be, you want something humbling? You want to be standing there and have somebody crawl up and touch your foot. I was humbled. I, I didn't know what to do. I thought, what do I do? I, I wanted to pick her up and say, don't do that. I can't do her husband's there. I can't touch her. Mary's at his feet. Humbly at his feet. And I think that's where we should take our place. We shouldn't try to boss him around and lord over him, accuse him of stuff. We don't understand anything. We don't understand anything. There's a universe out there running at his command. The stars are held in place by his will. And you don't like your TV dinner? (laughs) Really? Is that where we are? And Jesus, Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, in verse 33, which came with her, 
he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. You ever wonder why he was troubled? I don't know whether he was entering into their grief. I think that has something to do with it. He's entering into their grief because he's going to cry. He's going to weep too. But it's in sympathy. The Bible says, rejoice for those who rejoice, weep for those who weep. And Christ does that. Yeah. I, do I need to stop, Pastor? I shouldn't keep reminding you what time it is. I won't. I won't be much longer. I gotta. I gotta get him out of the ground. Yeah. Okay. Can we go, Can we get him? Can we get him resurrected? Yeah. Won't take too long. And Jesus is much quicker than I'm doing it. Working <laughs> <laughs> with somebody really dead. Then he asked the question, "Where have you laid him?" I think this is cute too. Cute, maybe not the word. Interesting. Why? You mean Jesus doesn't know? Of course he knows. I, I see this as a funeral thing. What do you do? When I, I, I made a lot of funeral calls in my life as a pastor. What do you do? People are broken up. They're all confused. Life is in chaos for them. So what do you do as a pastor? What do you do? You go, when you go in their house and they, they, they don't know what to do. And, and so you just ask him to do something for you. Can I have a glass of water, please? Focus, water for the preacher. It gathers them together. And they go and get the water. And they bring you the water. And you thank them. Oh, this is the best water I ever had. Thank you. Thank you for bringing it to me. So now we're, we're on a different page. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's, he's moving, their, moving their attention to what's going to happen next. Where have you laid him? Oh, we've laid him over there. See, he's got them all looking that way now. So now he starts that way. Everybody comes. It's... it's uh, it, it's training, folks. It's good. Where have you laid? They said over there. Jesus wept. He wept too. Separation is a sad thing. Whether it's for a little while or for a long while, separation is a sad thing. And Jesus does love him, and he's separated from him, but not for long. Then said the Jews, Behold how much he loved him. If you go to ICU or, or ER room, which again, as a pastor for so many, I have been there. People weep and wail and scream and carry on. And I, did, I don't understand it myself because I'm a very private, introverted person. I don't understand that, that kind of expression. And I heard two doctors, a doctor talking to an intern and, the, and I, this is the best explanation I ever heard. He told, the, he told the young fellow, he says, I think it's because the more expressive you are, the more people think you love the, the person. And of course, at these funerals, they hire mourners. You have people that can really wail. 
they get jobs at funerals. Really, literally. They hired people to come and mourn. You remember, um, well, that's another, another rabbit trail. You don't go there. Uh, how much you loved him. So they measured it by that. So he passed the test. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused this man, even this man should not have died? See, everybody's speculating about what Jesus could do, what Jesus should do, what Jesus is going to do. Everybody's speculating about it. See, we do that, don't we? When's Jesus coming back? Next week. The 23rd of October. At 12 noon, approximately around 11 o'clock. We speculate, don't we? We don't know nothing. Really, we don't. We know what God tells us. We don't even understand what he said. Jesus, therefore, again, groaned in himself. <laughs> oh, he says, oh boy, the rumors are starting now. <clears throat> it was a cave and... There was a stone lay upon it, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Again, focus. Jesus didn't need them to move it, but they needed to move it. Move the stone. Mouth of the sister of him that was dead saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Practical consideration. Dead people stink. Some of us, when we're not quite dead, stink. (laughs) This happens. Stuff happens. That's very considerate to warn her, for her to warn him. You're gonna, gonna need something for the nose. You go over there because by now he stinks. They knew about corruption. They knew what death was. They knew the end of it. Death is not pretty. Death is not noble. Death is death. The body dies and rots. And the soul goes either to heaven or to hell. And that's it. You don't need a plan B. You don't get to replay it. It's not called because of rain. You live it and you die. And you're done. Unless you're a Christian. You go to hell, or you go to heaven. And Jesus saith unto her, said, Say I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe that thou shouldst see the glory of God. Brings us back to the context of what's going on here. Then they took away the stone from the place that, where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which standing by said it, uh, by I said it, that they might believe that thou hast sent me. So there's prayer vertical to the Father, and there's also communications going on horizontally, too. I would say beware of horizontal prayers, but there's some. There's always a horizontal context if you're praying in public. There's always the people listening, as well as God. You hope God's listening. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. My sheep know my voice, and they do heareth me, and they do follow me. 
Lazarus was one of his sheep. He just would have to be dead that day. But he heard his shepherd call him. And he came. He followed Christ. One day, Jesus will come and shout, and all the sheep will come out of the ground that are his. We'll all hear his voice. We'll all come out of the ground. So what about corruption? The creator of the universe, he's concerned. Oh, he's been up nights. How am I going to deal with this? Huh? I, I, I just love this. No falderall, no trumpets, no smacking on the head, no slain in the spirit. Lazarus, and you know what? I bet there were 20 Lazaruses buried in that cemetery, common name in the time. There were probably 20 Lazarus buried in it, but only one was what was his. And the one that was his heard him. And he came out of the ground. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Focus again. He really is alive. He really is. Go. Touch him. Take that napkin off his face so he can see. Undo those grave clothes that are wrapped around and around and around and around and around and around and around him. Let him go. And you know, really, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's like a resurrection, isn't it? It's like we come forth from the spiritual death to life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things have become new. You know what, Christian brothers and sisters? It doesn't behoove us to be wearing, wearing the grave clothes in this life, in that Christian life. We should be free of those dead things, that grave stuff of this fleshly life. We shouldn't be walking around with burial bandages dragging out our pants legs because we're not sanctified, we're not living the life we should be living. We should be loosed of that stuff. And we should help each other be loosed of that grave clothes stuff. So we can walk free in the Lord. Sometimes religion is a sometimes grave carriage. Or religious stuff. Sometimes pet sins. But we should be loosed from those things. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary, which said, uh, which things Jesus did, believed on him. God was glorified. Christ was glorified in his sickness, which was not unto death, death. It was, it really was a nap. Now, an interesting thing happens in the rest of the chapter. They have a feast. Yahoo! Lazarus is alive! You know, can you imagine? Could put up signs, come see the dead guy. He's alive. <laughs> we, have, we have a supper. An offering will be taken. 
We're having a supper. Come and see Lazarus, only man that ever was raised from the dead. I bet there was a lot of people interested. The Pharisees sent representatives there to be part of it. And you know what they were doing? They weren't glorifying God. You know what? We've got to kill Jesus and Lazarus now. We've got to kill them both. Can you imagine how hard a heart and mind must be to look at a resurrected person and a person who raised them from the dead and plot their murder? How hard-hearted and how stupid you must be to think that you can kill Christ no man taketh my life from me. You know what he said on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. The plan of redemption. He didn't say, I'm finished. You know what he said? He dismissed the spirit to his father. Until I, I commit my spirit. He dismissed his spirit from his body. Nobody took it. He dismissed it. God should be glorified. We read his word when we see what he's done, when we hear his promises, when we know who he is, we should glorify him. We shouldn't think less of him. We should think more of him. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to present it. I do ask God that you bless it that some part of your word would lodge in the heart and mind, strengthen a brother or sister in Christ today, make them glad they're Christians, make them happy they know you, and if there be one here that knows not Christ as Savior, I pray, God, you'd be pleased to call him today. Again, it be for your glory, not ours, but for yours. We give you all the glory in Christ's name.